0: I'm Scott McGowan.
1: And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton.
0: Now, I think even for our listeners, too, I think what's important is um, we might be right, we might be wrong, but one thing is is we're not afraid.
1: Right. And we have a point of view, and I think that people should hear it. And we're unscripted. We just have free reign for 20 minutes.
0: Welcome to Side Effects with an A. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan.
1: And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton.
0: And we have a really good friend with us today, guest. His name is Den Bishop, president of Holmes-Murphy, a dear friend of McGowan-Bravenger, and what I would like to say might be one of the smartest guys on our planet when it comes to healthcare.
1: Yep, I agree with
0: that. How's that as an introduction, Den? Well, that's, uh, that's a little intimidating. Uh, as
2: you guys know, I'm a big fan of uh, McGowan-Bravenger and glad to be on Side Effects and
0: good to be with you Anne-Marie and Scott. Well, this this whole conversation, obviously, you know, both of us, all of us have been down this uh this path of health care reform, the Affordable Care Act, where it started in two thousand ten, where we are today, the political environment, what's happening, and then um, this economic uh challenge that we're hearing in regards to uh single payer for all, Medicare for all. And you know, on, on the surface, uh you Like, to some people, it sounds like that sounds pretty attractive. So when you think about the Affordable Care Act and where we are today, just kind of pontificate a little bit about Dan Bishop's opinion.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, Kind of talk about terms a little bit first. Uh, You know, we talk about a single-payer system or Medicare for all, and I think that was one of the politically genius moves that Bernie Sanders made in his last run for president. That he was using the single-payer terminology it wasn't resonating very well he his campaign flipped the terminology to medicare for all and in the polls the approval ratings went up not based on it was a different plan or something that people wanted just the terminology sounded better um you know so it's kind of interesting to watch when when we talk about these things whether it's the affordable care act obamacare in exchange the marketplace medicare for all the words we use actually have a big impact on people, whether they think positively or negatively. Yeah.
0: Does that tell you that you think, you know, America as a whole has more confidence in Medicare? You know, Medicare,
2: when you when you talk to most people about it, they feel good about that program. It, it works um, for the most part, for most the satisfaction is reasonably high, people have choices. The, the piece of it that we understand for our employer customers is that one of the reasons that Medicare works is because there's an employer healthcare system sitting next to it yeah. right pays the big chunk of the bill that Medicare doesn't pay. So there's this hidden Medicare tax and Medicare subsidy that actually allows it to be financially stable. Without the employer system Medicare system on its own actually doesn't stand um, financially.
1: Financially, right, and that's the biggest thing I think, that people look at this as coverage for all and access and a plan that works administratively, and then there's the financial part of it too, and they must all work together in order to make it work, which is why we're still having this conversation today. Um, and you know, the majority, a slim majority of people favor the single-payer system, and so, depending on how the news comes out, and they say the majority favors a single payer system. Well, it's 51 percent this year versus 54 percent last year. So it's going down, but it's still a, a quote unquote majority of people favoring a single payer system. But why do they favor it? Probably not because of the economics behind it.
2: Yeah, there, there's a little bit of a history lesson around these types of systems and, and the terminology. I was reading a a 1993 Congressional Budget Office report, which I'm sure, Scott, you were perusing those same uh, nerd files, or maybe I was the only one, but uh, in that, it was back in the days of Hillary Care, and what the Congressional Budget Office was looking for back in in that time, and there were two major systems they were evaluating. There was a single-payer system where the government would be the single administrative entity for all healthcare in the United States, a Medicare for all system, but they were also evaluating an all payer system. And those words have been lost in that. And what that was is in 1993, there was a gap of about 15% between what the government paid for healthcare and what those in the private healthcare or employer healthcare system paid, about a 15% gap. And so one of the things they were looking at was what if everybody paid what the federal government paid? And that was called an all-payer system that was there. Um, you know, I really believe, that as the political debate heats up again, and, and I don't think it's going to get really hot until the next presidential election. There will be some dialogue in the campaigns this year, but it's really the next presidential election that it will come a, a, about. Um, I think you will start to see maybe a, a resurgence of some of these kind of maybe all payer approaches. Um, our customers and, and your customers are evaluating reference based pricing programs right. that in are kind of going towards this hey, what's the connection between what the government pays for healthcare and what employers and their employees and their families pay for health care and
0: they are very 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 different well that gap um,
1: is is not 15% anymore
0: yeah and is, i think what we've also forgotten right. is we've introduced this new pay, player um with medicaid expansion yes right. so back in 93 you said there was a 15% gap so between the two today where where's your best guess on that gap today well, we, we just, um, one state actually makes all this data
2: publicly available so we can get a very true vetted view. It's Colorado. And in Colorado, we, we looked at the information actually last week, and I looked for a stent. If somebody was going to have a heart procedure, just have a stent put in place. Nothing else, no other complications, just have a stent. So it should be a, a reasonably uniform surgery. In Colorado, employers through their insurance, are paying about 245 percent of Medicare um, for that procedure. So if you look at what's billed, it's almost 600 percent of Medicare. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at what's actually paid, it's about a 65 percent discount. But if you look at Medicare that pays based on actual cost, I mean, our our customers are paying about two and a half times what medicare pays for the exact same service and that hidden tax is putting a huge burden on employers
1: well but there's a lot of implications too that i mean we could talk about this all day but we only have you know a finite amount of time on the podcast but when you think about the the healthcare systems and the providers they're getting a good mix right of payers um, of people paying whether it's private commercial insurance or whether it's medicare if we take out that delta, which is not 15% anymore, but which is much larger, all of a sudden, what happens to the business model of the facilities and the providers? Um, right. You know, can they sustain it, their current level of service and uh, or not?
2: That, that's a great point, Anne-Marie, and um, I gave a speech a year ago at a national construction conference, and, and the title of my speech was The Great American Healthcare Depression. Um, so it was really upbeat and like. <laughs> yeah. my, my, my point for the construction industry was look back at the last decade, how much of their revenue was coming from healthcare and, you know, in the room, it was this resounding, well, I mean, we had done hospital expansions. We've done freestanding facilities. I mean, there's a major source of construction in the country over the previous decade. If we were to move, to whether it's single payer or all payer, where everybody just paid what the government paid, I believe that that's um, I, in, in some bizarre way is the worst thing that could possibly happen in our economy, mm-hmm. um, because I think it would I would think it would, it would create a crash in the economy. The right way for this to go, and hopefully politically we can find a way to do it, is to purposefully and and proactively connect the private system with the public system in a way that lets the mayor out of this balloon, but doesn't pop the balloon. That's my, my great fear about a single payer system or a pure all payer would be, we would take so much money out of the healthcare system that we would see hospitals across the country and shut down. Right. We would see millions of jobs lost. We would see a real estate crisis. Um, that which used to be a blockbuster video store is probably a medical facility in your neighborhood
1: today. You know, it, um, it is. So it
0: has
2: a lot of implications
0: in yeah, the economy. I think a lot of people don't understand. I mean, I think most studies say that it's uh, healthcare. I mean, obviously we know it's 17% of our economy and big, gigantic piece of our GDP. Uh, but a lot of studies have said that it, this could cost upwards of 10 million jobs, you know, in our country. I mean, it is It is epic. And I, th- I love what you said about taking this private sector and government sector and is there a way to intertwine. And we're starting to do that a little bit in Medicare with Medicare Advantage. Mm-hmm. So yes. we're starting to say, hey, let's step out of the risk business, federal government. And last time I checked, if you pay taxes, I think we pay for the federal government, which, right. I, which says we pay for Medicare and Medicaid. And if you're an employee that pays a contribution, I think you pay all three. So we're responsible for all three of this, all three of these. And is there a way to build a new relationship? And it can't be overnight. It would be an absolute disaster. It right. would be epic.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it's over time for sure. Well I have I have a question for you, Dan, because I know you follow this so closely. Um and, and specifically you guys do business in Iowa, right? You have yes, an office there. And so um, at the end of March, there was I think a bill put forward i don 't know if it was signed you probably know to be able to introduce two plans in your state to sell that um, that do not meet ACA requirements. Uh, what do you know if anything about that and, and what is that what does that tell you about where the states are going because Ohio, where we do business is the first to apply for the waiver on the on the individual mandate, even though there's no penalty for it we've applied to have that just completely removed so um, things are happening at the state level here that will continue to bubble up and impact the ACA.
2: Yeah, and I'm not aware of anything that's actually moved all the way forward in, in place in Iowa, but if if you start watching, states are becoming very, very active.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and, and, the, and the real issue that's there is a couple of things that are happening. One is Medicaid. And the issue that, that people need to understand is Medicaid is a shared program between the federal government and states. Right. So states pay part of the bill, and the federal government pays part of that bill. Um, the, the number of Americans covered by Medicaid today is almost 50% larger than the number of Americans covered by Medicare. So Medicare's program, age 65 and older, um, is the primary group that's covered that. Medicaid is the program for the poor, that's really where it's designed, is those that can't afford. Um, so it's an income-based eligibility when we of Medicaid. The states are having to wrestle with their share of that cost. Mm-hmm. Um, Medicaid expansion, um, it's starting to bleed into increased costs for states. So they're being proactive there. On the other side, you have the Affordable Care Act plans and the insurance companies continually pulling away and moving away from those so which has resulted in limited choice i think you will see states actually create some kind of public option to be offered inside of the exchange um for for the affordable care act plans i I think we we will be there because i think choice is largely going away
1: yeah and so you know that that's interesting that you you took it there because one of the questions i had for you we have questions for you. Scott said you were the smartest guy in this room on yeah. this subject. Jury's so, out. Yeah, jury's out. We'll let you know when we're finished so, Uh at. But the elimination or the proposed elimination of CSRs, the reduction in CSRs, um, the health plans uh, exiting the exchange platform because of that. I mean, 83% of the people enrolled in in an exchange plan are receiving a subsidy today. Uh, but as that, as that, you know, Becomes more and more difficult for the insurance carriers to to you know earn their profit in their current structure. W- what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so so that is um, for most of the listeners. This is going to be a complicated little puzzle. So let me try to put it together for you. What's understand? So if the the CSRs, these payments that were there, and in essence, in the Affordable Care Act, based on income, if it was cars, not insurance. I would go to a car dealer and tell the car dealer I'm gonna pay for a Honda Accord, but the car dealer has to give me a Cadillac Escalade. And then the federal government would then pay the car dealer the cost differential between the Accord I paid for and the Escalade that I received. That is the Affordable Care Act. Right. And so what happened is the federal government says that those payments to the insurance companies were never really authorized and aren't legal. And so that's been a big battle. And they, and they, in essence, the Trump administration has said they're not gonna pay those. And it's still up for debate. Insurance companies have reacted unfavorably, as you might uh, well imagine. The end result of that, if you look at what's happened in 2018, so this is not forward-looking what might happen, but what actually did happen in the data was just recently released. The actual cost inside of the exchanges for the what's now 85% on the latest data that receive a subsidy for the 85% of the people in that program their cost went down by an average of 19.1% last year hmm. because the subsidies what we as taxpayers are paying increased last year by 43.6% and nobody is talking about it wow yeah. but actually at a plan participant level choice has gone away. I have fewer choices, but my cost has gone down right. because I get more subsidy. As taxpayers, our cost has gone up, and, and nobody on either side is talking about it, and I think there are reasons um, that, that, that they're not talking about well,
0: talking I think one of the things, too, Dan, as we kind of um, jump off of this, when we think about a lot of the authority, in my opinion, and you might disagree, I hope you don't, um, yeah. But because we've got 36 governor races coming up, obviously the political landscape, uh, nobody in D.C. wants to pick up healthcare right now. It's the hottest Mm -hmm. brick in town. So there isn't gonna be massive change until way out. Uh, But when you think of the authority coming back to the states, like in Ohio we have a pretty good uh, Department of Insurance. Uh, And I'm sure, and I think Texas does as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I do think the states have, uh, because of the Medicaid expansion, and the significant pressure on their budgets, I, I think they've got some flexibility if they're innovative enough to protect their state and employers inside their state. So, but I, w- I want to go back to what we originally talked about, which is Medicare for all. Sure. Uh, and a single-payer system, or as you refer to as, would you say, all-payer? The all-payer, which would mean everybody paid that, but you keep insurance entities in place. Exactly. Because as, we, we're, as we're starting to have this conversation with our customers and employers, it's the way they buy stuff every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you start talking about this transaction, Medicaid gets it for $0.19 cents on the dollar. Medicare gets it for $0.39 cents on the dollar. And you get to pay 64 It really it pisses sense. them off. Yep. Uh, they don't understand it now. What I think society needs to understand is you can't fix that all at one time. That that's going to take time. You're exactly right. So um,
2: the word that no one wants to use is discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, we have price discrimination in healthcare today. So you could have four different patients in the exact same facility for the exact same service are paying four very different prices for, for that and it's not a transparent system right. where anybody has knowledge of what's there the only difference is who's actually the funding mechanism behind your visit to that hospital um, determines what you pay and as that issue becomes more and more or awareness of that issue increases I think you're going to see some political um, Response to that of the uh, the American voters not feeling real good about that Um, We talk a lot about transparency, but transparency without a benchmark or without an index Really doesn't tell anybody anything if you start if we start educating on what we pay versus The actual cost of of, of the goods or work versus what Medicare pays Which is roughly the, the cost of goods. I think you'll see a big movement in that way. I really do
1: yeah, it's a hot
0: mess. I mean, one of the things, too, that I really kind of adore about our health care system, and by the grace of God, you said four, four people step into a hospital. Um, and I don't think the service level that they receive is any different. I don't I think it is. I hope it's not. Right. I haven't witnessed that it is different. Uh, in other industries, in other economies, the capitalism at its finest hour, it is different. It would be different every time, all of the time. Does that make sense? Right,
1: the value matches the price. Correct. Right.
0: So we've built this system, this healthcare system, on the backs of, quite frankly, ourselves uh, with four different price tags, and we're trying to land on one instantly, and that's an economic disaster to do so. Right. So when you're having conversations with your own customers about reference-based pricing, what does that what does that look like? So, you know... The
2: majority of our customers aren't ready to go there yet. So there's, there's significant, and by reference-based pricing, what I simply am talking about is instead of a discount off of a bill charge, what if we used a reference such as Medicare and pl- paid that plus something else? So it's a cost up rather than a discount down system. CFOs, when we when we talk about that approach, love it. Right. Um, in terms of that just makes more sense, but on the, on the people side of things, because the economy is so good, because there's such a war for talent, um, there's a real hesitancy for employers to cut back choice to the degree that those kinds of programs would cut back choice. So, so in Texas, we're seeing a small movement there, but not a massive movement, and it's because there's so much concern about the employee relations. Yeah, side the, the, the of, of that because it, it would shift cost on higher cost services to participants if they didn't choose the lower cost provider.
1: And it's disruptive, it's very mm-hmm. disruptive just because it's different. And that's that's what your, your point was. So if you, if you had to fast forward and look ahead.
0: Yeah, so Dan, put your hands out here. Like crystal this. ball. Like you got a crystal ball, right? <laughs> so so ten years out. Where does where where, where does Dan see this this system moving to? What what is that what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so, um, so I I'm am I'm actually have, have been working a little and not as much as I, I would like on another book on the subject. And it has the somewhat tongue-in-cheek, somewhat uh, Texas bravado title, uh, I Can Fix Healthcare. <laughs> so with, with that, I believe that um, there are three issues around healthcare in this country. Always three issues. Every single employer is facing these same three issues one we've got the highest cost healthcare system in the economically developed world and it's much more expensive in the employer-sponsored market than it is in the government-sponsored market and that gap is growing it is a hidden tax that's a problem so we've got cost as big we've got amongst the least healthy populations in the world um the, the latest obesity data came out about two weeks ago we're now at 39.6 percent of american adults are considered obese and almost 20% of American children are considered obese. So where I first saw the article was on an investment site and what it was recommending as an investment in a company that provides diabetes products and services. So it's the economic boom of poor health, right. um, which is just tragic that, that that's there. So high cost, poor health in this country, and we have the most complicated consumer um, environment in the in the world is healthcare in the United States. The answer to what we're doing, and it I think it's in small ways with every employer and every decision that they make, and I also think it's the longer term ten year plan, is we have to evaluate solutions in with three basic questions. Does it lower cost? Does it make people healthier get them access to higher quality medicine? and is it easy enough to understand so people know what to do yeah, yeah. Um, if we can do those three things we win and ultimately i think this connection between public and private systems the answer will be one that actually lowers cost for all doesn't just shift costs from one side to another side that that drives to higher quality healthcare and has some patient responsibility um because the responsibility is a big part of our health status in this country right and, and it's simplified and easier uh, to understand uh, you know uh, i just think that we can you know with with where McGo Braybender sits, with where holmes murphy sits you know i think that we have a role in trying to drive towards those three positive goals that can help make positive change because i don't think we can count on the government doing it on its own or the market doing it on its own but i think we can contribute well, I,
0: agree. I guess kind of as we wrap up, Dan, um, one, thanks for your friendship. Uh, and then secondly, thanks for caring so much about, uh, about what you do. And, I, and we agree with you as, as well. I mean, we can't fix this overnight, but status quo, just not, cutting it. It's not
1: acceptable. It's not cutting it. And we love, and maybe on the next episode, we can talk about the introducing of the Amazon,
0: Berkshire Hathaway, what J.P. Morgan, what that looks like. It's disruptive. It's disruptive. It and it's different. And society wants something that's different. Uh, and we're only going to evolve if we address There's a great book out now called The War on Jobs. And it's all around this, this big factor of organizations are looking for the healthiest communities to move into. Okay. Because they can't afford to pay for a sick population. And if you're a mayor or a city manager, like you better get that. Right. And you better get it fast. If you're a health system in the community, you better get it. And you better get that fast. So we're grateful for the friendship, grateful for the relationship, and uh, just keep poking the bear, keep writing books, and uh, really appreciate everything that you do for us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dan.
0: Well, thanks
2: for having me on today. I always enjoy the dialogue and love what you guys are, are doing. Keep up the great
0: work. Absolutely. Thanks. Join us next time on Side Effects. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com.
1: Or Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on on Side Side Effects.